We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Rosalind Durant. Roz rose the ranks in ESPN for 20 years. She played a significant role in the 2007 contract extension with the NBA and oversaw the 2019 launch of the ACC Network. Rosalind recently celebrated her one-year anniversary in her position as Senior Vice President of Operations for Disney Springs, ESPN Worldwide of Sports, and Disney's Blizzard Beach and Typhoon Lagoon Water Parks, a place that many people refer to as heaven on earth. She is the first African-American woman to hold her position within Disney. Roz and I know each other because we were Betsy Magnus Class 18 classmates, and we've been friends ever since. What I love most about Rosalind is her positive energy, poise, and power. Want an example of those three things in combination? Rosalind Durant. She has positive, radiant energy. She's professional and poised, and man, is she powerful. Welcome to ROG, Roz. Thank you, Shannon. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for reminding me that it was class 18. I can never remember our Betsy number. I just remember the, you know, you have those people who you connect with immediately, and I'm so grateful that you were one of those for me. Ah, I agree. And everybody tells you, you know, you'll meet at least one best friend in this group, and I'm just so grateful that we've committed to staying so close and that you're participating in this and this very important conversation is part of our Black Voices series. And thank you in advance for what you're gonna share with us. So give us a little bit of your story, Ross. I grew up in small town, South Carolina. I am the daughter of Roosevelt and Petrina Durant. And I say that because it's so such a big part of who I am. And when I, I can't tell my story without telling a bit of my background. It it speaks to who I am and why I am. And my grandparents with their small little church in Timmonsville, South Carolina, that we that, that was a very much a big part of my existence, not just my Sunday existence, but who I am and again why I am. I am an aunt of six. I often say that it is my most important role. So you give a title for work and that's great. And I am grateful and I enjoy what I do tremendously, but there's nothing that I enjoy more than being the aunt to Kaylee, Kendall, Preston, Riley, Reagan Pearl, and Roosevelt III. So that's a little bit about who I am. I am a a, a woman of God. I am active in my community. You know, I, I emphasize those things, Shannon, because it's important to me that everyone understands that I'm more than a business card. That is, that the title gives you some sense of what I do professionally, but the rest of it, the, the family roots, the Christian roots, the my nieces and nephews, that tells you who I am, not what I do. Yes, absolutely. It's who you are and who you surround yourself with, who you influence and who influences you. I think that's such an important part of who we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. You, you talk about who you surround yourself with, and there is great intentionality around that. As I've grown older, Shannon, I've grown wiser. And sometimes along this journey, this journey of life, this journey of the Christian journey, the, the professional journey, things change. 
things change and you evolve and you get, hopefully you evolve, hopefully you get smarter along the journey. And I've learned to be intentional about the people I bring along that journey with me, who who strengthen me, whose values more closely align with mine, because I do believe in just the power of energy and, and good energy. And there are things and, and, and people and situations that can pull from that good energy. And I have much more intention now than I did before about what energy I allow into my atmosphere. And I'm kind to everyone, you know, and I, I wish everyone well. And if I can help you, I'm going to help you. And I will, I will pray for you. I will do all those things. But in terms of where I, where I, who I'm hanging out with, where I'm having brunch on a Sunday, you know, who I'm taking a walk with on a Wednesday afternoon, that I'm more selective. Yes. So thinking about your life and where you grew up and your earlier years in your career and even present day, I'm curious to know about your personal experiences with racism. Yeah. You know, I was always, well, from a very young age, I was aware that people viewed me and viewed people who looked like me differently. I was aware of that. I never focused on it too much. Um, well, especially earlier, Shannon, like I, 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 there are a couple of memories that are forever a part of me. And one, I think about, again, growing up in small town, South Carolina, the days when the Klan would march in my town and I would go, we would go into town and there was a railroad track and you'd see these people, these masked people who for some reason didn't like me and I didn't understand it. I was a little kid and I remember I just hold on to my dad's leg and and it, there was something about it that was frightening. So I didn't know who was behind that mask. Who are these people? Are these people that I run into at my IGA? Are these people who are in my school? Are these my teachers? Who are these people? I didn't understand it. But I and my dad and I and my, my, my mother, we would have conversations about it. And he helped me understand that there was nothing to fear and that maybe their fear was nothing that I needed to reflect as something that I did wrong or that made me not worthy or not not good enough. And then I fast forward to a memory in college. I was a, a broadcasting major, um, Shannon, and during an internship, this was at, in, in Columbia, I'm, I'm a Gamecock, and there was there were marches about the Confederate flag on the top of the state house. And you may you may remember that. And there was a counter protest, and there were Klansmen there. And I went out to cover the story because I wanted to. I needed to show that little girl in South Carolina who held onto her dad's leg because she was afraid that I wasn't afraid anymore, Shannon. That I knew who I was, and that their um, anger or choice to not like me for some ridiculous reason was not my problem and would not define me. So I asked to cover to go and be a part of the story. And I remember a news director was like, are you sure you want to do that? I'm like, absolutely. Why wouldn't I? I'm a journalist. And I go there with a reporter and I remember having a conversation with, with one of the protesters and afterwards, and it was very, very kind to me. And afterwards I said, I, you know, camera's off. I was just curious. Like, why, why are you okay with this? Like, why are we, how are you so comfortable having this conversation with me? And he looked at me and he was like, well, you're not like the rest of them. And that stuck with me. I'm like, who is the them? And what is your assumption that they are like, you know, like that, um, uh, that told, it both told me a lot. And for me, it, it sticks with me because it was a, a moment where I overcome 
the fear that little girl Rosalind in Thomasville, South Carolina had. And all of a sudden I was face to face with this person who took their mask off. And I remembered that there were people, some in masks, some without masks, who had these thoughts, who had these beliefs about me and people like me, whether they think I'm like them. Like, what does that even mean? You know, or not that were that were stuck in my memory. So I, I, I tell that story because when I think about racism, I think about the reality that there are some who are behind masks. You can call it a mask. You can call it a, a social media profile without a face or without a name. You can call it whatever you want. And then there are others who are not behind a mask, who are out front, you know, and that both of those things are real. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not obvious. So much of what I've experienced hasn't been blatant, Shannon. It's just, you know, the different treatment. Perhaps someone can't quite speak to why they're not comfortable with you, or there are just the different looks when you walk into the space, when they see you or they hear you and they're surprised by you. Why are you surprised by me? Why are you surprised by my title? Why are you surprised by my neighborhood? What I, I'm, I'm not sure I understand. Um, so it tends to be what I've experienced much more subtle, but I am also, I talk a lot about intention. I am intentional to be aware of it, Shannon, but to one, not fear it, you know? awareness, not, 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 not paranoia around it. Oh, there's so much in what you just said, Roz, that I want to learn more about. So let's start with your parents. What are some of the conversations? If you could take us back to your home in your childhood, like what, what did that sound like? What did you learn from them? Let me tell you, I am, there are so many reasons that I, I have to be grateful and just to give thanks. And my parents, my goodness, I'm blessed to be the product of amazing, strong parents who spoke goodness, spoke life, spoke great expectation into us. Like I think about my, it was my mother's father who who was my pastor where he went to be with Jesus. And I think about what she instilled in us and how to treat people and how to love people that the basis of this faith is love. Love, Shannon. Love for everyone, regardless of, not not because of, but because, because that is that is who Christ is and that is what we are to represent. I think about, so my father would often say, and I have an older sister and a younger brother, and he'd say that his job was to raise strong, confident women and strong, confident kids. And I remember how often he would speak into us that we can do anything, anything that anyone else can do, regardless of gender, regardless of race. We didn't even talk about that. It didn't matter. You're good enough. We'd be watching television and I'd see someone, see Oprah, someone. I'd be like, oh, she's just so smart. And my dad would say, Rosalyn, she's no smarter than you are. You know, we'd be watching, this is pre-cable, we'd be watching some pageant. I'd be like, oh, look at her. She's just so beautiful. And he'd say, she's no prettier than you are. And at some point, Shannon, we start, started to believe it and started to say, I am just as good. I am just as capable as anyone else. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that the contrary is also true. Like when you're saying, be careful what you say to these young minds because they hear you, they believe you. And I wonder how that has affected the stereotypes and the kinds of treatment that individuals in Black skin are experiencing. I will tell you, when you talk about kids and just how impressionable the young minds are, I am really, really grateful to have 
a really a, a, a wide array of friends and some of my best friends look like me. Some of my best friends don't. Like I'm an auntie and I talked about the six biological nieces and nephews, but I'm auntie to, a, to, to, to many more. And I have God kids and they don't all look like me, Shannon. But you know what? Those babies don't know the difference. Why? Because they, they feel loved. They know they're loved. I think about some of them and I have one of my babies is, is in college now. There's another who's eight, nine. And I've been in their lives since before they were birthed. So when they came out, I have pictures of me holding my, my, my sweet Taylor and she's in the, in the hospital. Before she knew herself, I knew her. So as she grew up, she grew up just understanding this is Auntie Ross. Never questioned it. There was never a question on how does she how does she get to be my auntie? She just knew love, and we talk, and and there's just a just a mutual affection. I think about um, uh, last year, and I participate in work on different inclusion councils and work that we're doing here in the company. And there was this one panel that I was a part of, and of course, everyone is working from home. And so, one of my very best friends was watching this panel, and uh, as were others in the company on her computer. So afterwards, you know, after the panel, you get these kind notes from people that say, oh, good job. This was great. Here's what I got from it. And all feels good. Shannon, the one that the one that literally moved me to tears, this one of my best friends sends me a picture and the picture, there are no, there are no words with it, but it's a picture of the computer screen. And I can see me and the others on the panel on this computer screen. And of course, we're talking about just the issues of the world and that the, the injustice and what we, what we need to do about it. So there's this computer screen and she's watching along with her three kids. They didn't look like me. And them watching Auntie Roz, and I, it brought tears to my eyes because I'm thinking, that, Shannon, that is how we teach our children the right way when we have these conversations. And of course, they had questions. They were hearing things and not understanding why would people why would people feel that way? Why wouldn't they be nice to someone like Auntie Roz? And they, they just didn't get it. But the thoughtfulness, the intention around her knowing that it was important, not just for her kids to have an auntie who doesn't look like them, but for them at an early age to understand some of the realities of our world so they can understand their place in it and their role in it was powerful to me. And I said to her, I'm like, if only we can have more of you, we can change this world. One child, one sweet mind, one 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 friend, aunt, neighbor who doesn't look like them at a time. It's about exposure and about conversation. And then with all of that steep, once again, in and mutual love, regardless of those things. Absolutely. Yes. Mutual love, mutual respect, that desire to really understand and to understand the holistic experience of somebody's life. I think that's such an important thing because they see you as the radiant, loving, generous auntie that you are. But now for them to see you in this professional setting, answering these really difficult questions about some of your life experience, I'm sure that had to be both shocking and just so important for them to hear. And Shannon, and there, what I think about them is you, as you talk about them, this smile creeps over my face because I love them. I love them. I couldn't, I wouldn't love them more if they look like me. I don't, why does it matter? I love them. And my desire is for that's, that that's all that they feel. And that's all that they know it is, is love. And, you know, when I'm with them, their friends come over and their friends come over and they see this. And I just think about the importance of exposure, right? Too often we 
we hang out in really small boxes. We put ourselves in little small boxes. It's scary because again, we like the safety of the known. And the known is what I know, what I think, what is familiar to me. But if we're brave enough to venture outside that safe zone, that my friend, that is where the magic happens. Absolutely, Roz. And when you're saying brave enough to listen, brave enough to really listen and seek to understand before being understood, like what do I need to know? What about your experience may be foreign to me, may be something I've not experienced before or something that I could learn from. So when you're saying like, be brave enough to listen and get involved. Yes, be brave enough to listen and get involved. And, and I did shake his hand because I go out of my way to show kindness, show kindness to people who I know don't expect it, to show kindness to people who I know don't may not even want it to say that, that's not who I am. And perhaps, Shannon, because what I don't know is I don't know what experiences they've had in their lives. You know, like perhaps they see something, perhaps they feel something and say, hey, that handshake wasn't so different than a handshake I've had from someone else. That smile wasn't so different. That that kind word wasn't so different. I am a very, very big fan of um, of random acts of kindness. I love it. Like, and I, I instill it in my nieces and my nephews, and I have them. You know, one of the one of the gifts I like to give for Christmas. I don't give a lot of gifts anymore, Shannon. Not to not to them. They they're fortunate to have enough stuff, but we have experiences. So we. Instead of investing in things, we invest in experiences. But I will give them an envelope, like $10 in an envelope each. And they have to spend it on someone else. They cannot spend it on themselves. They cannot spend it on someone they know. They have to spend it on someone else. And we are intentional about going to someone who, not, not just someone who you think needs it, but someone who you think isn't expecting it. Surprise them. Surprise them. You know, we talk about surprise and delight. Surprise them. And perhaps they'll be delighted and maybe a little action can start to soften and change a heart. One one interaction at a time. One kind word, one smile at a time. When we come back, Roz will share about the invaluable support she received from the T. Howard Foundation and how they gave her a chance. Hello, I'm Joe Panfield, President and CEO of the T. Howard Foundation. We fulfill our mission to increase diversity in the media industry by offering college students paid internships with major media companies. As a result of their internship experience, nearly 200 of our interns are hired every year in communications, marketing, and even on-air talent. For more information about our program, visit t-howard.org. And we're back with more from the loving and wonderful Rosalind Durant and her experience with the T. Howard Foundation. I learned about the TR Foundation first as a sophomore in college. So again, I went to University of South Carolina. I remember one of the journalism organizations I was a part of, we went to Howard University for a job fair, a journalism job fair. And at that job fair, there are all of these companies that were represented, ESPN, MTV, BT, name, name your cable companies. And there was this little company that was this little organization, TR Foundation, that had a booth. So, you know, I'm in college, I'm thinking about internships. I was passing my resume to anyone. I didn't have much on my resume, but passing my resume to anyone who would take it. And there was this organization, T. Howard Foundation, that reached out to me afterwards 
boards and explained that they could help me with placement at one of these um, one of these major companies and that they were looking for people like me for women for and people of color to help provide them an opportunity for exposure in the media industry. I really, I, I bought into it. I love the mission of it, Shannon, because it's just about give them a chance. Once I get in there, it's up to me and I'll do my part, but someone has to open the door. So T. Howard is about opening the door. And they um, placed me my first, the first summer before my junior year. I'm down in Atlanta at, um, at Turner with Turner Network Sales. And the following summer, the T. Howard Foundation placed me with ESPN. And it was, of course, through the internship at ESPN. Again, what is it? Exposure. About the exposure, about the opportunity where I was able to get in and do my part. And the doing my part created a window for me to come back to ESPN full-time um, immediately after graduation. So knowing and seeing that mission at work, not one example, there are many others. There are many others with their own T. Howard examples where they were given this chance and then use this chance to find their way into an organization and go on to have um, to, to have success and to learn and to contribute in, in meaningful ways. But seeing it in action gives me, um, leaves me um, committed, com committed to the cause, you know, and I am fortunate, I, 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 I can't kick me off the board. I don't even know how long the tenure is supposed to be, but I keep re-upping and re-upping because I never, I always want to be a part of the solution. And if I can play some little part in helping the next person at name your university, just get a chance, just a chance, just a chance. When we don't, it's not talk about the um, unconscious biases. Often we're not given a chance. It's not intentional. They're unconscious things. Sometimes we're just not as thoughtful about ensuring that we also bring in people who who may be of different backgrounds and the foundation is trying to change that. Yeah, you use the word intentional. And I think that that's an important word to bring into our leadership competency when we're talking about recruiting, hiring, mentoring, sponsorship, that we can really think about the intentionality of the role that we're playing and how are we checking our own bias so that we are dismantling bias through empathy, understanding from all of the things that we've been reading and learning? When we talk about bias, everyone's shoulders get tight, right? And we're like, I'm not biased. I'm a good person. I'm like, yes, and you are a person. And because you are a person, you have biases because it's just human nature. It doesn't mean that we're bad people. But I get concerned when people assume they don't, because if you don't, if you don't acknowledge it, then you can't check it. Once you acknowledge that you have it just because you're a breathing human being, then you can say, let me put the right processes, the right systems in place to help balance it, to ensure that I am being fair and inclusive of, of all people. My requirement for the leaders who are hired for the position, it said, is simply to start with having some intentionality and also um, balancing out the biases is we ensure that we start with a diverse pool, right? Like just make sure that you are not late. Don't be lazy about this. Let's make sure that we're pulling in people from different backgrounds and different experiences. And then that we also, here's why I think it's really important, have a diverse panel who's considering these these applicants, right? Because, you know, I may see one thing, Shannon, you see something else, and we all have our own biases. But my but the thinking is, if you have enough different perspectives who are considering these candidates, that we can help offset each other's um, biases to come to, hopefully, a more thoughtful, a more inclusive, and, and an overall better decision. So there does have to be intentionality. But you start by understanding that um, bias is natural and it's normal, and then putting some efforts in place to help offset it to do what is the right thing 
not just because it's the right thing to do, but it's the smart thing for our businesses. I love that. You're casting your net really wide and making sure you're getting a lot of people from different experiences and backgrounds included in here. What are other practical things that you're doing? You're the Walt Disney Company CEO of Diversity and Inclusion Council. What's some other advice that you can give to our listeners? We need to expand our own circles. You know, like I say, be intentional about who are you having, who are you going to have lunch with? Who are you reaching out to to say hello? How do I make sure, and I check myself on this, that I am being more thoughtful about what that group looks like? Why? Because as I'm listening to different people and just coming to coming to know you as a human, it helps to remove any fear, any questions and help me to see you, right? So that's one thing we can do is be intentional about expanding our own circles. People will say, well, Ross, I don't have time. I'm like, but you do, but you do. You know, in a normal environment when we're not all on Zoom, like we're going, you're taking a break for lunch. You know, let's make sure you don't have lunch with the same person every day. Expand, expand. Let's go out and let's have lunch and let's reach out and, you know, spend time with different people. So that one I think is really important. And then just being thoughtful about listening. We do these things, I'm called these coffee chats, where once a month I'll get together with 30, 40, 50 people from across the larger company. And Shannon, it's not for them to listen to me. It's for me to listen to them. I open and introduce myself and I turn my microphone off and I just listen and say, what do you want me to know? What should I know? As we as leaders are making decisions on on your behalf and on behalf of this company, what should we know? I can't assume that from the seat that I sit in that I know what you are thinking. You know, not even people who... Who, who, who look like me. I don't know everyone's experience. So to take the time to listen and not listen to check the box and say, I listen, but to listen for, for understanding and then take that and use that to inform the decisions that we're making. That I believe allows this to go from some, a programmatic exercise to just a more inclusive lived leadership experience. It really goes back to what you said earlier about how if we could change our beliefs, change our definitions of even what a friend, what is a friend or what is a colleague or what is a trusted person in your life and that listening and understanding and empathizing, because I really think that we can dismantle racism and bias and all of this division through empathy and love. When I moved to to North Carolina a few years ago and I was finding a church home, it was a it was a requirement, a prerequisite. When I thought about my church home, I said I needed a couple things. Of course I needed great teaching and learning, but I needed a place that was reflective of the world. And if I walked in and if everyone looked any particular way, one way, it probably wasn't the place for me. Why? Because that's not what the world looks like. And that's not my view of heaven. My view of heaven is that it is beautiful and it is bright and it is colorful and it is loving and we're all together. And I needed a place to worship that reflected that. And it's not just the place to worship, it's the places where I hang out. Absolutely. And the books you read, the movies you watch, right? I mean, that... That's something that I've been really uh, auditing in my own life is, you know, what is influencing me and how can I make sure that, to your point, it's representative of the different types of humanity that exists, right? Not just one particular kind, but, you know, all around and, you know, different different backgrounds and all of that. I think it just, it helps you to have a, a greater appreciation for all the beauty that exists in, in the variety. Ah, love you, Roz. Love you, Shannon. ROD takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. 
Roz is a bright light in the world. She lights up rooms, hearts, and every environment she encounters. Of the many key takeaways from her wisdom, let's focus on three ways that we can be. One, be intentional. Two, be kind. And three, be generous. Number one, be intentional about the people you bring along the journey. Who strengthens you? Whose values closely align with yours? Who has good, positive energy in the world? Who do you allow into your atmosphere? Who shouldn't you allow in? Be intentional about who you invest your precious time with. To take a deeper look, I'm creating a quiz to help us analyze how diverse our networks are. Stay tuned for more information. Number two, be kind. Think about this. As a child, Roz witnessed the Klan marching in her neighborhood. She didn't know who was under those hoods and masks. Now fast forward to early days in her career during her internship, and she's covering a story where there are Klansmen, Confederate flags, protesters. And after one interview with a protester, she courageously asks him, why would you speak with me? And he says, you're not like the rest of them. She had a choice. She could be offended, hurt, angry, confused, and likely she was all of those things. Who wouldn't be? The choice she made, however, was to shake his hand and meet him with kindness. That's power. How can we be more kind this week? And number three, be generous. Roz's practice of giving experiences for the holidays and giving the kids $10 in an envelope that they need to spend on someone else. They cannot spend it on themselves. They must spend it on someone they don't know and be intentional about finding someone who isn't expecting it and surprising them. Surprise and delight. In her words, a little action can start to soften and change the heart. One interaction at a time, one kind word, one smile at a time. Until next week, be intentional, be kind, and stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.